friends, and welcome back to the new vlogs. We've got a 0x for you today, back together two days after my birthday. It's October 18th, 2022. Kevin, welcome back to the new vlogs. Always good to sit down with you, bud. How you feeling? We're in post-merge territory. That was our last big topic. So um, how is it? Are your technical senses still tingling? My technical senses are always tingling. Happy birthday, bud. I mentioned it on Twitter, but I, I uh, yeah, did you do anything fun for your birthday? Um, no, the opposite, but that's what made it such a good birthday. I just kind of sat back. I chilled a little bit. I'm not the age where, you know, it feels good to uh, take it easy. Did a little sports betting, watched a little television. Um, we ate at one of the shittier restaurants in town. I feel like my birthday is all about torture. You know, if I get to choose, it's like, Classic. what's what's your least favorite restaurant? Well, that's where we're going, buddy. Then we came back <laughs> and watched an episode of True Blood because, you know, nobody really likes True Blood. It's really not a great show to rewatch. And this, the sea of infinite, amazing possibilities of television to put on. Well, Kevin... I wanted. Not, I, not I went that many with shows you know, on right now. Season three, episode one, just right in the middle. You know, let's just let's just dive right into a little True Blood. Let's let's remember remember like the a, worst. Throw the dart. And yeah, pick that episode. Nice. So it was that's fun. Cool. I bought a, a Murakami pillow for myself for my birthday, so that's real nice. Uh, one of my friends gave me a CyberKong VX. It's pretty cute. Uh, I also bought myself cool a CyberKong VX for some reason because you know it's nice to buy stuff that looks like. An ape. Yeah, I mean, great birthday. Don't actually drop the money necessary to buy an, a board ape, but you know, you could pamper yourself with some some lesser animals, maybe some well, I some really flowers and such. I, I've tweeted it, but one of my biggest NFT regret, regrets was not buying any kind of Cyber Kong at the beginning, especially the Genesis Cyber Kong, because that there's only a thousand of those. They, they were one of the early PFPs that emitted a token where you got the bananas passively for just having it. And then the, mm. the, at least the buy pressure, the burn pressure on the banana token was making the baby Kongs and naming your Kong and doing all that kind of stuff. And you know now the, the, the curve's kind of been hit. But I, I think contextually, the Cyber Kongs did a lot of that stuff pretty early. And they, they've got um, some cool technical minds behind it now with, I think it's Play and Collect. Um, there's some cool stuff that you can do with, with the NFTs there. And they moved over to Polygon. And it's a very interesting project. So at long term of all the kind of like blue chip NFTs, you know, I like my Clone X a lot. But I think a Genesis Kong, you know, I'm not a big pixel art guy. But now that I'm starting to embrace pixel art a little more, that is, that's, that's one regret, man, you know, and so I, you know, the, the VX is a nice, a nice step in that direction. At least it looks cool in the sandbox or so I'm told. I still haven't really dove into the sandbox myself, but apparently my Cyber Kong looks badass in there. Apparently the Kongs have a custom animation, like most things in sandbox use the default humanoid animation, but uh, the Kongs community actually made like a, a Kong type one. So they're, That's cool. they're a little more distinctive. Yeah. Apparently it's very time consuming. So it's only the kind of thing that either a big investor or a crazy community with time on their hands would create. So, yeah, I try to try to avoid the regrets. I think no regrets is a good way to live in the crypto. Uh, no. I know, that's I know you're being talk, dude. You gotta you gotta analyze the past. That's how you that's how you take notes for the future. Firm belief. That's uh, why we have history class, dog. Yeah. That is definitely true in some contexts, but in the case of which. Uh, jpeg nfts i bought i'm not too critical I, i'll say I, i'm willing to analyze but I, i'm not 
too adamant about criticizing Okay, can I add one little caveat behavior. to that anecdote? Sure. So the first, like, th this is a pseudo-crypto scam that I got caught up in, okay? I didn't get scammed in the sense of, like, somebody rugged my money, but I got scammed in the sense that I was on the Binance Smart Chain for the first time, and I saw this exchange called PancakeSwap, and I saw some banana tokens on there, and I actually thought that they were pegged tokens to the uh, CyberKong banana token, and they were not. These uh, were B-N-A-N-A, -A. so they were missing an A in there. It's like banana tokens. So similar, but no, di different thirds. banana. Yeah. So, you know, I staked them, and I lost like 30 or 40% before I sold the bananas and realized, wait, oh, no, this is the wrong chain. So I was pretty new. Uh, you know, I learned that lesson uh, the hard way. I ended up not really losing that much because the rewards were so crazy and inflationary. You know, it's like BSC DeFi. What are you going to do? Um, but yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, some moments like that are worth reflecting on and going, okay, let's be a little more careful here. Not all bananas are created equal, Kevin. It's a good takeaway. First lesson in today's episode. Yeah, I think uh, I think over the course of the last year or so the the lessons keep piling up um i think a lot of what we'll be chatting about today i anticipate will be the the progress that the space has made since our last episode we talked about the merge so i was hoping we could talk a little bit about um like what's happened since the merge but then also i think a lot of the the crazy shit that was happening during the bull market. Um, it is usually the point of the bear market to kind of like wash out all the garbage and to for a lot of the absurdity to kind of come to uh, come to an end in some way. So I'm excited to chat about some of this stuff. Yeah, it, it is a wild time. You know, and the merge, I, I think, I, I don't want to say it was overhyped, but it happened so smoothly right the execution really couldn't have gone better all of these crazy extraneous scenarios that we had talked about and there were so many different ones out there in terms of doomsday or how it's going to fail or what could go wrong and it was really a, a, a thing well executed and a testament to a lot of crowdsourced work a lot of crowdsourced work rather and uh, the collaboration of a lot of humans over a pretty long period and in some ways it's almost like repairing a train while it's moving and that has some unique challenges when you need to get on top of it or uh, work on the sides so anyway um maybe a crude analogy yeah. but uh, it was ex excitingly boring yes that, that's a good way that to put nothing it nothing really happened <laughs> yeah and I, I guess to be totally honest because it was a question many people had there hasn't been a lot of price action post-merge. I guess in some ways it's actually been the opposite, where we did see a slight sell-off after the merge of people kind of, okay, the hype's over. So, um, And there was a little bit of a, of a pump running up to it, just, just a little bit, you know, but we, we saw some movement versus Bitcoin and the other coins. Um, and since merge, it's been steady, don't get me wrong. It's not like Ethereum has tanked or anything, but it hasn't really broke out and of course, many of the deflationary mechanics and you know better structure now uh, and smaller issuance that that doesn't really change things in the immediate short term. That's like on a, on a multi-year time horizon, you start to see the real effect of that um, you know eighty percent or eighty-five percent decreased issuance. But for now, um, it's like we've we've just got a better base to build on. So builders happy yeah. for retail. Not much has has changed on the front end. 
Yeah, I think the um, the common criticism that I heard from people on Twitter was like, oh, all these Ethereum bros were talking about how great the merge was going to be for the price. Um, but I think it's all about the sort of the lens and the time frame and, and really like what, what your interest is in the space. Like if you're a trader and you were anticipating that this was going to pump your bags, um, that didn't happen in, in any sort of a short term sense. Um, I think the the thing that I've always tried to communicate with the, the tokenomics change, uh, the, the change in the to tokenomics of the merge is that this is more of like a um, a kind of like longer term change in the supply and demand. And that sort of a, uh, of a change doesn't happen immediately. This is not like suddenly a ton of ETH was just burned and like we lost a bunch of supply. It was more so like we just shut off a, a leaky valve. And so like the effects of that valve being shut off don't happen immediately. Um, but I also think like it just the general macroeconomic climate and the the whole kind of like macro bear that we're in is just like so much larger than crypto. Um, and crypto is such a tiny part of the financial system that even if there is this sort of like shift in the tokenomics of something like Ethereum, if Ethereum is is generally riding the same macro that all other financial assets are in, like it's going to probably do the same sort of thing in the short term. So, yeah, absolutely. And it seems like there really is no shortage of commentary out there about more pain being felt in terms of macroeconomics with, um, you know, Russia still has a, a lot of issues going on. A lot of currencies are very inflationary. You know, it's funny to think a year ago, I was thinking to myself, guys, hedge away from the dollar. It's going to be a disaster. It's getting so inflationary. All these arrows are pointing really bad. And that is all true. But it doesn't factor in the fact that most currency is relative to all of the other currency in the world. So if the dollar is inflationary, it, the real question is, what's the baseline? You know, as they say in economics, relative to what? And if the question is the rest of the world, well, it turns out most other currencies are a bit more inflationary, actually. It's even worse. Like in, in the UK right now, the British pound is, is not in a good spot. I was just over in London for that NFL game, and I was, I was talking to some people about it. And you know, the dollar goes uh, further in, in the UK than it ever has before uh, in you know, at least recent memory. And, um, you know, same with the euro. The dollar's been holding up pretty well. So funny how that kind of uh, works out, Kevin. Um, actually, I think USD or USDC is one of the, the safer assets right now that some of my more bearish friends are, are starting to stockpile a little bit, which is, is funny because here I am, the laggard, like, I'm over here just stockpiling ETH. Why isn't it going yeah. up? You know, that's... Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I feel similarly. I was I was kind of anticipating this uh, at the very beginning of like inflation numbers increasing. I guess the common logic, uh, the common knowledge logic would tell you that this is bad and that you should try to figure out what other assets. But if all the other assets are also tanking much faster, <laughs> then... Uh, yeah, it's, it's doesn't all, really matter what, yeah, you're, that's the what thing. you're doing. It's, it's all going downhill. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you are right. America's bad, but everything else is bad right now too. That's what that's what global recession looks like. You know, that's what macroeconomics are. 
Um, and it does create a, a different place in the narrative where, you know, I work on the gaming side, so we're used to, you know, the, the sort of FUD articles and the, these weird smear campaigns as one of the, the bigger players in the room when it comes to, you know, scholarships and just having more players around the world. But there was a wild article, um, I don't know, maybe a week or two ago that was talking about um, Decentraland, I think, was in the, the headline. And I think it, they said that they have 34 or like 38 daily active users. And when I saw that, I was like, all right, so I know Decentraland's not like bustling right now with people, but 38 is just not not really possible. So it's a sus number. <laughs> yeah, when you dig deeper, it's it's more, it's how many transactions on chain they have per day. And like I think there was a number for Axie in there that was misreported and a bunch of other things where it it just it kind of it, it's a strange phenomenon when you're reading it and you're like, right, as you just said, these are on-chain transactions. Those aren't daily active users for something that has like a game server where you can use the assets to just play the game. Like you're not claiming SLP every day when you're playing Axie. You get like sort of a, an SLP credit and then you claim all of them in one transaction when you want to. Like, and there's a lockup period and all that kind of stuff. That's that that's part of the system, but um, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's weird. I think it, it's like comparing. It's like comparing uh, like CS:GO or Dota skins. Like, oh, oh, every time someone purchases a skin, that counts as a, a user being active. <laughs> it's like that has very little to do with the actual activity of the game. Or like yeah. every time a, a tournament pays out, that's like one action. Like, but again, <laughs> has nothing to do with gameplay. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, I, I'm not surprised to see FUD uh, during the bear market. I mean, it, typically it is kind of a year of round endeavor, but in particular, um, the outside world loves to kick crypto while it's down, like more than anything. So it's just yeah. not a surprising article. Yeah, I, I I think now that a lot of even crypto games have moved on to um, like private servers, let's say, for a lot of the gameplay, which makes perfect sense. Not everything has to be an on-chain transaction, but uh, for something like the actual daily active users, it does require um, the developer to to share that number. Like You can't really find it just by looking at only on-chain data. So I understand why that temptation is there. Like, hey, this is just one data point that we can look at and analyze. should still call it what it is, um, but it will be interesting you know, in a bull market, you get a sense of what those numbers are because people want to brag about their numbers. Um, in a bear market, when numbers are down, not many people want to share those numbers on a regular basis. So um, I'm sure there will be many a more piece like this, you know, and as you said, you, you do lose some in the bear market. That's kind of how it goes. We go through these cycles where you start to separate out who's really in it for the long term. When the downturn starts, a lot of people say we're in it for the long term, but... Uh, yeah, saying is different from doing in this this particular situation. Good old wag me, dude. Yeah, I don't see that phrase on Twitter nearly as much. Maybe no. that's because I have unfollowed a couple of, of key influencers. No, um, I think it's just also like, no. <laughs> wag me. We're all going to make it when we're all making it. And then when it, we're not, no one says that. <laughs> wag me. Yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of plenty of cringe out there. Uh, I I don't know. I don't I don't want to dwell on influencers, but I've definitely seen some some goofy stuff, and I get it, dude. It is hard. I 
I empathize with the people that have branded themselves as I am a Web3 gaming slash esports influencer because there's 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 not a lot to make content about, you know, especially if you're not playing Axie anymore. Like, you know, what Web3 games are doing like regular tournaments or doing like a two million dollar circuit or, you know, have these these bustling arena seasons um, that are still pretty competitive even that it gets hard to make content about regularly because it's a card game and we don't push updates during a season because we want it to stay pretty consistent. So it, it is hard to be like, if you have a podcast, you know, that's part of the, the beauty of Axie chat and a testament of, you know, they, they survived, you know, years of getting like one or two updates from Sky Mavis, you know, just <laughs> sitting there theory crafting about what could be man. Well, what do you think we could maybe do with these axes one day, you know? And that's just, that's another level of perseverance that really earns you respect. But sometimes you got to dig deep to uh, to make that work, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think, again, during a bear market when there's just a million new entrants into the market and uh, VCs are throwing money at every idea, um, <laughs> There's just an overabundance of. Don't you wish we had an investor things. for this podcast, bro? That would have been a great return. <laughs> yeah, I, at some point, I would like to do uh, like a Gitcoin grant round for this. I feel like we could, you yeah, know, hell yeah, let's go. If give us a give us a little bit of change to throw around and increase the production value in whatever way. But yeah, um, I think yeah, just again during the bear market, I think the the lack of you know, like new exciting projects that are getting thrown around every day. Um, I, I definitely, I can empathize with that as well. Like there's just, you know, whatever's happening is happening and you got to kind of dig a little bit more. You got to turn over a few rocks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of, of new rocks though, hard, hard pivot here. Um, you had some news that we didn't mention at the the top of the show. Oh yeah, you, you're uh, you're working on something new there, eh, bud? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, I switched jobs. So I was working at Consensus previously on the Truffle team, so building smart contract tools for other developers. Now I'm working at Metropolis, which is uh, DAO tooling, sort of like on-chain permissions management and. Um, Essentially, if you think of a DAO, a lot of DAOs right now are very uh, large and like everything goes through token voting, very um, monolithic. I think the idea with Metropolis is to break apart these larger DAOs into smaller working groups uh, and having and making sure that those working groups have autonomy to make their own decisions, have their own finances, pass proposals, do whatever they need to do to like... Uh, to move forward on their metrics while still kind of maintaining the transparency and the, all of the on-chain, um, uh, all the kind of implications for being on-chain yeah. um, as a whole. So yeah, I'm really excited about uh, so once what I'm again, on I feel like that episode of that 70s show where Kelso's at work with his dad and his dad's trying to explain what he does and Kelso's like, I still don't get it. I don't, what do you actually <laughs> do? Um, so that that's cool. I'm glad you're excited. I kind of got part of it, but that that was a it's very gotten harder way to, to explain. <laughs> it, the the more crypto jobs, the deeper down the rabbit hole I'm going. When so I talk to friends and family, I'm like, 
Think about <laughs> organizations as a concept. <laughs> okay, so if I can help you try to summarize, you're you're helping DAOs build tools that make voting more efficient and get more participation. It's that, and specifically, the, our focus is around like on-chain permissions. So uh, I'll go through a really quick example. Let's say. Um, you have a DAO where you have like five people that are in charge of making some sort of important decision. Um, you can add, add these people to what we call a pod. And then within that pod, they have the ability to like vote on whatever they need. Um, and yeah, a lot of like I, I, right now I'm working on sort of visualization tools. So being able to kind of like visualize a DAO on chain in kind of a, a, a cool way. I think right now a lot of DAOs, even though everything exists on chain, it's really hard to visualize them and see how they work. Um, so yeah, it's it's a little bit of that too. It's about like visualizing on-chain organizations. Okay, so you're building a project management tool. So you're building PowerPoint. Mm, no, <laughs> I'll just uh, okay. We'll we'll try another elevator pitch another time. Got uh, it. I'll 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 really hone in on this description. Well, it sounds yeah. You know, let's think about how to explain it to some normal folks because I'd love to wrap my brain around it. Um, it sounds cool though. I I love that yeah. you're going deeper and deeper into the technical rabbit hole, um, and that is cool. You're you're like the guy building the infrastructure stuff that's actually really important that like other rails will rely on in the future. So you're you're building columns at Rome, my friend. Uh, appreciate, appreciate you. Appreciate that. Th that's my thanks hope. For, thanks for digging deep. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, that's 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 the hope. Well, so let's. But, let, yeah. Well, no, I, I was going to say let let's keep going on this like more technical side because I saw another headline that was talking about blocks now accepting censorship. Um, we've we've crossed this fifty one threshold, often a magic number in crypto. I think not so much in this specific system, but the majority of blocks now accept the the protocol or whatever that blocks like tornado cash and the other sanctions and that kind of stuff. So for now, it's sort of like accepted, I guess, kind of because it's like one or two things, but this sets a precedent of, well, the blockchain is now going to be pretty much not censorship proof at all if it keeps trending this way. Is that the, the high level takeaway there? I could provide a little more color. Yeah. So in the last few months, there's been some uh, some news. I think we had mentioned it a couple episodes ago, but uh, Tornado Cash ended up on this the United States Treasury sanctioned persons list, um, which means that if you interact with Tornado Cash, cash uh, on chain, you are considered to be violating sanctions. Um, and so... Essentially, if you live within the U.S., it is illegal for you to interact with that smart contract. There's still probably going to be a lot of legal battle to determine if that is even within the jurisdiction of the Treasury or if that sort of action could take place legally. Um, but in the meantime, what block producers have done is preemptively started censoring transactions where people are interacting with Tornado Cash. So when they are um, staking their their ETH and it's their turn to build their turn to build the next block, they get to choose which transactions they want to put inside that block. And so they are purposefully ignoring any transactions that are interacting with Tornado Cash. And so right now we just hit the it looks like we're now over like 50% of new blocks 
don't contain those sorts of transactions. So people are uh, referring to this as sort of like OFAC censorship, uh, even though the even though the government hasn't actually said that block producers can't include those in blocks. Does that make sense? Yes, it's. I, I I hadn't really thought about the voluntary part so much that it hasn't been decreed that they have to. It's just people kind of accepting yeah. it, I guess, under the assumption that, eh, God, I I just don't want to be hassled. So, I mean, I I kind of get it. There's a it. It's a bit of a virus, you know. It starts to spread once they they put something on on that kind of a watch list or whatever it is. You you, you yeah. just you're highly incentivized. The chilling effect. Yeah. The chilling effect. Yeah. Yeah. You're incentivized to not be guilty by association. So um, I don't know. Yeah. Wild, I mean, wild times. Yeah. I I struggle with this. You know, I've in my my 33 years, I, I just got one more tick on the old belt. I've thought a lot about censorship. In my youth, I actually wrote a paper on it when I was in middle school. Uh, the parental advisory sticker, if you remember that in the 90s that they put on CDs, that was like kind of a controversial thing. That was the, the censorship era. Old Tipper Gore, Al Gore's wife. I don't know if you remember her. She was a big censorship proponent, really hated Eminem back in the day. You might remember some of those great slam tracks where he mentions Tipper Gore and her her finer qualities. Um Every platform that it is not censored is just used for horrid shit. And every single one that's like, hey, man, we're not going to have any censorship, but then we're going to have to censor the bad stuff. But it's not going to be political, just the agreed upon really bad stuff. And that sounds great until you start to apply that and you realize in the modern day that really bad stuff is also highly politicized. And there's this really weird, smeary Venn diagram set of things that overlap and that some people value and other people don't. And it very quickly becomes fucking Parler or 4chan or 8chan. And it's just not great. And it, they often, it ends the same way. They're like, yeah, this isn't worth it. And then whoever is paying to create the monstrosity pulls the plug on it. And then some crazy person buys it and weaponizes it. Um, so I'm, I've swung back to like, kind of pro censorship in some ways because I think you gotta it's it's that old the, the was it Karl Popper the the old uh you know intoler intolerance of tolerance thing you know if you're a really tolerant society then the intolerant people take over so to remain tolerant you have to be intolerant towards intolerance you know whoa fake your noodle there I know it's crazy it's crazy um but no if you think about that long enough you realize that yeah you should censor Nazis you know sorry man Free speech yeah. has some limits on it, you know? And, yeah, uh, I think this this hard. situation has led to a lot of really cool conversations uh, on in Ethereum Twitter um, around credible neutrality, because a, a lot of what Ethereum sets out to be is credibly neutral, meaning that it is not going to take sides. It is a platform where people can build transactions. And from that perspective, uh, even as we pass that sort of 50% threshold, Ethereum is still, you are still able within 20 seconds to get a tornado cash transaction on there. It doesn't matter where you live. If you want to break sanctions in the US, you can do that. Uh, I'm not suggesting that you do. But from Ethereum's perspective, right. even when we hit, yeah. yeah, even you hit, you say 90% OFAC compliant blocks, that means what every uh, 10 blocks you can get your transaction in, that's like, 
uh, hundred seconds uh, you know, of wait time. Look at something like Bitcoin, where it's every ten minutes you get a block in there. Um, I think all, even at ninety percent censorship, quote unquote, uh, it's still like more quick and and in some ways uh, censorship resistant than than something like Bitcoin would, because Bitcoin would have this same issue if the and i think actually this has happened in the past where uh certain addresses are are added to like a block list um but when your block time is 10 minutes that's a sort of meaningful difference um i think right. i i agree though with the nuance of what you were getting to around um there is a reason for um sort of like credible neutrality at a certain level and then recognizing that there is just some shit that's inherently bad for everyone and figuring out what that line is and um, building a platform where it's sort of like, I think this goes back to code as law. I, I've never been a huge, like strong proponent of that concept because I think, I think blockchains introduce a lot more immutability, but I don't think extreme immutability even if the entire world disagrees with what's happening is the answer I don't, I don't think we need this sort of like um uh potentially runaway tech that like we lose all control over i think what we actually want is uh technology that can guide humanity more toward what they value and not what a small group of shareholders or billionaires or one percenters value um, and I think that that is still the case. I think Ethereum also has a lot of tech, uh, a lot of like more technical um, work on the roadmap to essentially avoid what's occurring right now with censorship, uh, censorship on the block builder side. Um, there's this concept of a proposer builder separation that sort of allows for uh, a, a separation between like the person who is building the block from the person who's proposing it. Um, and I think that will help in a lot of ways here. Hmm. But yeah, I think there's a lot of nuance to this topic, and it's it's like a genuinely fascinating yeah uh, conversation. No, it, it really is. Like you said, it, it ties into the the is code is law conversation, and I think that's one that um, you can riff on for a while. So probably something that will keep coming up, and um, you know, be a topic of the future. I I think. Weirdly, when I analyze the landscape, I think Twitter is the best solution that we have at the moment. And I don't I don't mean that to say like Twitter is perfect, but when you factor in the whole landscape, remember, dude, there's porn on Twitter. And it's not really that walled. You can just like type porn into Twitter and just see it. You could, you know, it, it's there. And they do a really good job balancing that freedom of expression and including it in the platform, but not letting it take over and you know, how many people do you know that think of that first thing uh, with Twitter? Oh, my God, there's porn on there. Nobody. But remember the famous, yeah. was it was it Tumblr? Was that the one that, was it yeah, Yahoo Tumblr. bought Tumblr and then they banned the porn from Tumblr and then Tumblr tanked yeah. and now it's not worth anything? Um, Twitter did the opposite and they found a way to make it work. And Tumblr's problem was that they felt like it was taking over the site. Like that's all the site was known for. So that's a marvel in and of itself. You can't do that on Facebook or Instagram or um, Google or any of these other kind of major platforms like that. Um, and even though Twitter gets this really bad reputation for, you know, banning right people and, you know, having a left skewed thing and all, all this kind of stuff and having an agenda, 
there's there's probably some truth to some of that. Every platform has some sort of a lens or an agenda because the real answer is moderation doesn't scale. And that's why this censorship conversation gets so interesting because right now it's solved really with a combination of human intervention and some automation. And it it's really hard to get context right. The YouTube fails miserably with context because there's just so much volume of content. It has to be automated and you know, false stuff gets tripped all the time. You just say one word and then you, is bad and it, it doesn't get the concept of is bad afterwards. So anyway, I, I digress. But uh, yeah, the, the freedom for censorship uh, and, and censorship resistant tools, I, I think, remains fascinating and has journalistic implications as well. But um, speaking of journalistic implications, I, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about Do Kwan a little bit because that story has continued to erupt. And it's one of the worst things that's ever happened in crypto, uh, specifically for South Korea um, in terms of Luna and uh, the big table, stable coin connected to that Terra ecosystem uh, going bust. You know, billions of dollars worth of assets just evaporating. Um, it, it was something that a lot of people kind of assumed would go bust at some point but really underestimated the degree and the speed at which it happened. It turned out to be way more over leveraged than people realized, of course, uh, as it always is with these things. And um, yeah, there, there were a lot of folks, again, specifically in Korea that had really believed in it. They had taken out you know, mortgages and loans to go in on this thing. It was like a stable coin paying 20% yearly returns. So uh, a lot of folks thought that was gonna be their retirement right there. And fortunately, it went to zero. I rode that one all the way yeah. down to the ground, K-Man. Yeah, and it wasn't just individuals either. Celsius, um, Three Euros Capital. Um, there was a few other like True. big, even customer-facing uh, crypto companies that went all pretty much not all in, but like went in enough that it would it caused them to become insolvent when that collapsed. Um, and yeah, I mean, essentially, right now. South Korea issued a red notice for Do Kwan, the co-founder of Terra. Um, and the red notice means basically if you find this person in your country, send them back so that we can send them to trial. Um, and so he's wanted in, I, I don't, I've kind of lost count how many it's like countries. 190 now or something. It, it's a shitload. It, it's like everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I get it. Uh, he built this sort of like unsustainable Ponzi that blew up and lost a lot of people, a lot of money. And I think when, uh, things like the 2008 financial crisis happened and the banks lost a lot of money for a lot of people, we were like, who, all right, who's going to jail? Like what, where's, where are we going with this? And of course, when nothing happened, a lot of people got upset by that. Um, so on the one hand, I do yeah. sort of see where like we, someone needs to be responsible and the well, person who built he it also is, you got to put his character into context a little bit. You know, there were a, a number of people that right or wrong pointed out some of the holes in this thing, you know, along the way. And we're like, this is a little scary. We've seen what's happened with these other algorithmic stable coins. They're not as stable as people think, you know, this one's gotten really big and if it pops, it's going to be really bad. And he was a, a real douchebag about it a, a couple of times on Twitter in a very childish way that was unbecoming of whatever his title was, CEO or managing director or partner or whatever the fuck. 
Um, it, it's just like he, he was very snooty and know-it-all-ish. And even now, I, I saw an article where he's still, you know, posting a little bit and his Twitter is kind of active and he's he's sort of claiming that, you know, it was it was never about money and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, dude, if knowing where you were, it's it's one of two things. Either you you knew that this thing was was going to go boom before everyone else did. And you there were definitely some some flags there where you could have dialed this thing down instead of telling people to keep buying in. Um, or you were so clueless that you truly didn't know, in which case you're so disconnected from reality that I would classify that as like, you know, gross negligence territory. You know, either, it's like either you're an idiot or you're a really failed, like kind of, you know, mastermind guy that thought he was going to get away with this, but there's no way he's going to get away with it. Um, so anyway, no, I don't, I maybe, don't maybe so. I'm being a little harsh there, but I think that, no, I don't think so. <laughs> that, that adds to the, uh, you know, the desire to want to stick it to him. You know, I, I've heard similar in America, you know, the IRS, they get this bad rap for being unreasonable, but they're actually really reasonable because they're pretty good at math. They want most people to just pay their taxes, man. They don't want people to go to jail. You don't make money and pay taxes when you're in jail. Instead, taxpayers pay to keep you alive in jail. The IRS is well aware of this. So they want you to keep doing your shit and they want to set you up for success. But they're they're not going to be taking a fool, you know. You gotta you gotta be playing the game, and you gotta be respectful, and you gotta do the shit they want to the, the way they want to do it. So you know, people that have made mistakes on taxes have have you know climbed their way back before. It's like the Wesley Snipes of the world, where they say you owe us some money, and you say no, I don't. They go, oh shit. Well, we're gonna make <laughs> we're we're gonna show this guy what's up, you know, because they they do want to make an example out of people that are trying to spit in your face. You know, it's one thing to bend the rules. It's another to take pride in being like, look, you know, I got away with it. And it's almost what he's doing right now by being on the run. It, it's making a spectacle of it. So it makes the authorities want to action it even more because you're, you're, you know, you're being disrespectful. And it's yeah, like in America, I mean, you have the freedom to tell a cop to fuck off, but he also has the freedom to hassle you and give you a ticket for some really mundane shit if he wants to, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in particular, Do Kwan, he made it his whole shtick to be kind of an asshole on Twitter. I, I was looking through some quotes. Some of them were like, uh, yeah. I don't debate the poor on Twitter. Uh, oh, that's he's nice. He's still poor. Pretty sure he's poor. I don't gamble against the poor. Uh, stuff like um, he was very cocky about how his stablecoin was going to beat die. He said something like, by my hand, die will die. Uh and was just very um, that's um, that's zingy, but really stupid. Yeah, <laughs> really stupid. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, he his whole thing was like he was just made it part of his personality to be an asshole. And so I don't I don't think of him as the sort of like uh, lone developer that I that got caught between a rock and a hard place. Like no, he, he kind of sucked, and I think he knew that he sucked while he was doing it, and. And any time that anyone pointed out how unsustainable he was, it, he just like turned to calling them names. And it's like, all right, I don't feel bad for this guy. We should probably, uh, we should yeah. Probably get it's like I call that the social Ponzi kind of, you know, where you're like riding that wave and doubling down on aggression. It it's an effective strategy, and it, it works when you don't have any cracks. But the moment it starts to crumble. Like you got no friends, you know, there's, there's nobody that's got your back because even if you're neutral or slightly allied, you're just, you're radioactive, man. You know, talk about the, the chill, what is it? The chill effect, the chilling effect. 
Yeah, the chilling effect. There it yeah. is. Yeah. The yeah, the chilling effect is like when uh government will yeah, like in the case of the um Yeah, I guess in the in the context <laughs> of this guy, it's like he yeah, now he's suddenly radioactive and anything he touches is like you want to avoid that that was that I yeah, guess. It's like the fallout. Like like yeah. Dry ice makes the things around it cold. Wow, that's really deep, Kevin. Mm, Great analogy. God, this is so fucking deep. Yeah, there it is. Well, speaking of deep, dude, the last uh, little topic I wanted to highlight because, you know, you, you got to talk fashion uh, when it's related to Web3. Big got Kim it. K, uh, Kim Kardashian had to pay a little settlement to the SEC. She uh, shielded some crypto bullshit and did not do hashtag ad. And now th this one is interesting because remember, there was a very specific event that kicked off this whole hashtag ad revolution. This is an American thing. This is like a, a policy we have in America. If you're getting paid in either money or gifts or something from an, a, a brand and you're promoting it, you have to disclose that you're being paid to promote it because people were doing these like blog reviews where it was really just a paid ad, but it was written to look kind of organic. And this big proof of concept came when Kim Kardashian acted like that she was going to go to Fire Festival. And when people thought that that was an organic, like Kim's just going, and they didn't realize it was just a straight up paid advertisement, everybody wanted to buy tickets to go. And that was kind of the spark that lit the whole fire to have that whole thing you know, take off and raise all the money and then get over leveraged and really turn into a Ponzi. So ironic, I would say, K-Man, that she's the one that started the whole damn thing. And now she's there. She is doing some other old, uh, old token. I don't know. what I don't even know what token it was, I, but it was some like Ethereum Max. Oh, well, that's, <laughs> I, you know, I don't really know what the use case for Ethereum Max is. I don't sounds, either. I think it was just someone, someone smashed the fork button on GitHub and forked like one of the Ethereum code bases and then Let's, made a Ponzi out of it. Yeah, that's, that's super exciting. It. And you know what? They probably made more than she was fined. And obviously to her, that's probably about what she got paid to do it anyway. So, um, well, it's hard for the laws to keep up, I guess. But um, I don't know. That yeah. one's always, always relevant, I think, because in the crypto space, I know this is happening. Uh, if you're getting NFTs or tokens or anything that has any kind of value, then um, you're getting paid to to endorse it, and you, you have to disclose that. And people don't, of course. And it's it's just it irks me a little bit. And for some of them, it's like, man, you're playing with fire, and you don't even realize it. You should be a little little less cavalier because these are tweets that you're not deleting. They're out there. They're archived now. There's websites that back this up. It's going yep. in the time machine. I'm, so. I'm reading some of the quotes. Uh, one of her Instagram posts was, are you into crypto? This is not financial advice, but sharing what my friends just told me about the Ethereum Max token. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is rough. Yeah. But yeah, I, this is another case where I am uh, kind of glad to see that. Is Was it the SEC? Yes, yeah, the SEC is suing so. her. Like. This is sort of what the SEC is here to do, not like pick apart random legitimate DeFi projects. Like, I think yeah. it makes sense to, to go after people that are paid well, shills that are yeah. I mean, pumping I'll, scams. I'll tell you, maybe like uh, an okay closing thought is I just read the, that amazing piece by Amy Madison, amymadison.xyz. Um, she wrote a, I think it's a book, but then there's a digital version of it. The second chapter is all about securities and securities law. And she makes a, a pretty strong case that was relevant to something that 
was just being investigated about uh, some of the token drops related to these projects um, and the way that they're framed look a lot like securities and some of these governance tokens that don't really do much governing eventually start to look a little bit like securities where there, there's a buffer there, right? Uh, it actually reminds me if you've ever filed a startup in America, a lot of states have this three-fifths rule where three of your first five years, you have to be somehow profitable. Like when you file your tax return and you're, you have your, you know, your business, how much did I make? How much did I spend? Three of those five years, you got to be net positive because you, you got to prove that it's not just a hobby where you're writing off expenses. At some point, you got to prove that, all right, someone somewhere is paying me to do something or else this isn't an actual fucking business. Um, there, there's, you know, maybe a little bit, a little bit of a parallel there. So I, I get okay. it, man. I didn't know about that, but I guess that makes sense. Jersey had that to... for sure. I, not all states do, but I know Jersey did. I was always stressing about that in the old broadcasting world. One year, I was positive $100, Kevin. Made the cutoff. It was good stuff. There you go. You're legit. Yeah. Could that, what a way to go out is like you're, you're starting a startup and you're trying your hardest, but the, you just didn't make that three-fifths cutoff and then you're... Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's a hard and fast thing. You know, you, you might be yeah. able to argue it and get an extent, but you know, it, it's an interesting sure. default rule. It's supposed to, to keep you hungry a little bit. So um, I feel like some of these tokens are like, okay... You know, so I think they've ruled so far definitively that Bitcoin and Ethereum are not securities. And if you read the the Kryptonians, the Lars Shin book, it talks about actually the way they structured it and the way gas was actually like a, a fuel for the thing, literally like gas. And that's why it wasn't a security. Um, that argument was was actually somewhat sound. And those networks are sufficiently decentralized that, um, you know, that they don't they don't trip the Howey test. Um, so some of these other tokens, it's like, all right, what's the buffer? How many years after being issued as a governance token do you have to produce some sort of meaningful governance? That That's an interesting bar that I think has yet to be set, but it's a question people are going to start to ask. So anyway, uh, a lot of interesting stuff uh, coming up. You know, there's uh, all this philosophical shit that people have been dreaming about is going to start uh, coming to an interpretive head. And don't even get me started about CSW, dude. Our buddy Craig Wright's over there winning court cases. I don't know what the fuck's happening with that <laughs> shit. We're going to have to report on that in one of these episodes. I know. That's the thing. The, yeah. the whole real crypto world has tuned him out. And that's like part of the problem because he's now like found this great loophole where he's going into to court cases and he's fighting legal battles. And then if he wins the cases, it's like, hey, I'm claiming to be Satoshi. Somebody challenge me. And he, obviously, Satoshi's not showing up in court to challenge him. So then, like, you know, some random court will be like, all right, yeah, sure, whatever. You're Nakashoto or whatever the fuck, you know? <laughs> so um, and then you can use that to leverage your way up of like, hey, look, I proved I own yeah. this thing. I have five court cases that yeah. say that I'm Satoshi. So I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you know, d disclosure that's, you know, in interpretive. I'm, I'm sure there's more to sure. it than that. Um, but yeah, he loves to sue people and fire the, you know, the, the legal gun and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, um, it, it, it's a, it's scary how effective that strategy can be. And yeah. I, I fear we won't be able to ignore it forever. Like, wait, wait until there's a headline in the New York times that says like Satoshi identified wins court case, you know, proves his identity. You know, it's like. Yeah. That that's going to be a shitty day. That even if it's untrue, is going to confuse a lot of people. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that happens in this part of the market cycle is we just got over all of the the lofty visions and the 
uh, high expectations and hopes, and we are now back in the reality phase, and we are seeing the lines where crypto meets reality and figuring out kind of what the next next phase of it looks like. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think this is definitely a reality check episode for the books. For the books, yes, indeed. No, good time to wrap it up. Um, and now, dude, I'm I'm going to be home for a while, actually. So I'm going to Vegas for like three days. I, I'm going to this awards thing for esports uh, on November 2nd. Nice. And yeah, it's a super quick trip. Be there for like 48 hours. I'm home, baby. Like, this is it. I'm in... I'm I'm tuckered nice. in and through the end of the year, so I'm ready to get back on more of a regular podcast schedule here. I hope uh, hope you're settled too. We're gonna have some great American yeah. holidays. Gonna make some crypto content. Um, I'm stoked, man. It's been an awesome year. I've done like so much traveling, and it's been really incredible. But I'm also excited to uh, to feel at home. You know, chill get with a little the bit of rest. Yeah, yeah. Like Fo- follow me on the gram, and you'll check out some of my adventures, man. I got I got no stories shit. for days. Oh, shit. I got to go check that out. Yeah, hit me on the gram. All right. Well, always a pleasure, Kevin. Um, Thanks a lot, buddy. You guys know where to find us. Of course, never financial advice in here, all educational. And uh, I'm sure we'll have another educational episode or two coming before too long. Uh, But until then, we'll see you next time. Peace.